Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWire and this episode is Ireland Redaction, Nazi propaganda in Ireland in the Second World War. During World War II, Ireland remained neutral throughout the entire conflict. Nevertheless, and I suppose unsurprisingly, both the Allies and the Nazis were keen to influence Ireland given our strategic position in the North Atlantic in close proximity to Britain. Although little known today, the Nazis went as far as establishing a radio station, Ireland Redaction, to try and influence Irish public opinion and even the government. The story of this station, which initially featured German broadcasters speaking exclusively in Irish, is fascinating. In today's podcast, I have a really special guest to tell us the story of Ireland Redaction. A few months ago, the Second Irish History Summit took place and we organised a competition for students where they could submit their RSR, basically their research projects. Now, the standard of entrance was incredible, but one stood apart. William Quinlan, from St. Joseph's College in Borisalee, County Tipperary, whose project was on Ireland Redaction, was incredible. The depth of William's research, as you're about to hear, was really top class, and in this episode... He's going to talk you through why the Nazis set up Ireland Redaction, why they initially only broadcast in Irish, and whether this radio station had an impact. You may also notice something a little different about the title of this episode. It has the number 12 out of 50 at the end of it, and I want to explain this, because you'll see it in coming episodes as well, and it gives you a sense of my plans for the year. So the 50 refers to the number of episodes I hope to release in 2022, and 12 refers to the number of shows produced so far. Now getting 50 episodes out in one year is a big ask, but it's one worth aiming for. That said, above all, quality content is what matters most to me. So far, we've gotten off to a great start. As I say, today's podcast is number 12 of 2022. This time last year, there was only nine shows released. Now when I say we, I'm not talking about some vast team of researchers. I don't have one. There isn't a huge team behind this podcast. 
but I am talking about the support I get from patrons of the show listening in now on the ad-free version on Patreon and Acast Plus. It's this support, your support, that has allowed me to expand the type of show and record episodes in new locations on topics that would have been beyond me in other years. The last four episodes, for example, were recorded in Kerry, Dublin, Wicklow and Tipperary and involved driving about 1,100 kilometres. The support of patrons allows me to head out on the road, not to mention spend the time needed researching, writing and accessing resources. Now to show my gratitude, I'll be listing 15 special supporters in the show notes each week from now on. You can see the first group of special supporters below this episode. If you're a patron on Acast Plus or Patreon and your name is not there yet, keep an eye out because it will be soon. And if you enjoy the show and you'd like to hear more Irish history content, you can support my work and research on Patreon and Acast Plus. There's links in the show notes below. It's straightforward to sign up and makes a huge difference to me. Now to Ireland Red Actium. I started by asking William about the background and why the Nazis established a radio station that targeted Ireland in the Second World War. They often say, you know, truth is one of the first victims in war. Um, and so propaganda, um, you know, is always a useful tool. So the Nazis themselves, you know, were always on top of the latest technology for the dissemination of, uh, of propaganda. And that was, you know, both at home and abroad. And so as part of their efforts, um, they established over 40 different radio services in as many languages broadcasting to countries around Europe. And their goal was the dissemination of pro-Nazi propaganda. And one of these stations, Ireland Redaction, uh, which means uh, translates sort of as um, the Irish editorial team or editorial office, uh, broadcasts to Ireland. And their job was to... Um, design, script and broadcast propaganda for Irish listeners. So I suppose they would have had a different purpose maybe you can imagine if they were broadcasting into Britain who are directly at war with Germany but in Ireland they had a bit of a different purpose is that right? Yes exactly so Ireland being a neutral country in the war and you know Germany and Ireland redaction was hoping to very much promote this policy of neutrality because, you know, neutrality um, was beneficial to them as well, um, particularly in the earlier years of the war. Um, now, the treaty ports had been handed back to um, Ireland in 1938, um, Cove, Bearhaven and Lox So the Royal Navy didn't have access to these during the war and um, they would have really been a great asset to them for the protection of Atlantic convoys bringing supplies as far as, as the United Kingdom. So by keeping and, and trying to ensure um, the maintenance of the policy of neutrality in Ireland, they were in fact dealing a blow, somewhat of a blow to England as well. And what I found really fascinating about this is that it actually broadcast in Irish initially first. Why was, what was the, the, the you'd imagine, I suppose, by the Second World War, the majority of uh, people in Ireland obviously uh, speak English. Um, but why did they choose to broadcast in Irish? Well, so the, the thinking behind it was, was that the Irish-speaking population would be more nationalistic and would be more prone you know, to supporting Germany over England in the conflict. Um, but we also have to consider the actual people who are working on the Ireland Redaction team. And the first head of the Ireland Redaction team, his name, his name was um, Dr Ludwig Mulhausen. And he himself um, you know, was a professor of Celtic studies and had a personal interest in uh, the Irish language. So this Irish-only policy, which would last until 1941 on the radio station, you know, was not without its critics within, um, 
within, let's say, within the German civil service. But um, ultimately, ultimately, you know, this was in in the wider scheme of things. You know, it was a, a smaller, let's say, um, a smaller operation. You know, within the larger broadcasting um, Nazi broadcasting network. So they were able to do what their own thing in relation to Irish broadcasting. And so that was the decision that Mulhausen took. And you could you identify a couple of key figures um, as being central to it, and Mulhausen being one of them. Can you just talk us a bit? about him because he's I suppose not what maybe we might think of as a, a German in the early uh, 20th century given his interest in Ireland and so Mulhausen um, was the chair of Celtic studies in uh, Berlin University but you know you know emblematic you know or sim- as a symbol you know typical of that time in Nazi Germany uh, that post had only become available because the previous professor um, Julius Bacorny had lost a job because he had a Jewish ancestry, and once that was identified, um, that post became available to him. Um, so Mulhausen himself, um, he then got that job as professor um, of Celtic studies, um, even though you know he had comparatively little academic research published. But what we do know is that uh, this vacancy occurred in 1936, and he'd been a member of the Nazi Party since 1932, so he had the connections necessary to um, take up this post. So Mulhausen, you know, obviously um, he was the first voice heard on Ireland redaction. So he had studied Irish, and he'd studied Irish in the Blaskets, he'd studied Connacht Irish as well. But his final trip to Ireland um, in 1937 was when he spent six weeks in Chelan, which is a small village in the Donegal Gwaeltot. And, you know, we can see, you know, from his activity there, that just how dedicated to being a Nazi he was, uh, you know, as a, in addition to his, um, you know, to, to perhaps his interest in Celtic studies, was that, you know, he had a picture of Hitler hanging on the wall in the fish cabin where he was staying, um, and he was going around singing um, uh, German nationalist songs every morning. But a very interesting thing we find as well is that in the German uh, army compiled a military geography of Ireland, and this was sort of a guidebook in the event uh, that they wanted to invade Ireland. And photos of Chelan, this small Donegal village, end up in this. So we can see um, just exactly how involved he was. But, um, you know, we see Mulhausen's role then in Ireland redaction. And, you know, and as I said earlier, you know, it was Irish only until 1941. But when that policy was phased out, that was the end of, of his involvement in the radio station. But it wasn't his. Um, but that, that didn't mean that he was any less significant. He had other things going on. He was a member of a think tank called Ananerba, which was involved in sort of racial profiling. And his research was trying to work out well, where do the Celts fit in in terms of superiority in relation to the Aryans? And he was actually um, grew to the rank equivalent to lieutenant in the SS. And this is after his departure from Ireland Redaction. So he was still very dedicated and very involved in the Nazi cause. And then maybe a, a, a person that people may have heard about more is um, Adolf Marr. He's also another figure that y- you go into. Um, could you tell people maybe, first of all, who Adolf Marr was and then his involvement? Now, Adolf Marr, you know, was a very interesting character in that he actually had... Um, a very high-ranking civil service post in pre-war Ireland. He was the director of the National Museum, and he had arrived in Ireland in 1926. 
Um, so you see, you know, uh, but not only was he, he also took a keen interest in the affairs of the Nazi party. He was, still, still, let's say, the leader of the Nazi party in Ireland. So the arrivals and departures of German citizens into Ireland, he was kept up to date on all of this. Um, so what we see is, you know, although Maher is the director of the National Museum, he does end up in Germany at the outbreak of the war. And he had been uh, on the continent, let's say, uh, he'd been appointed as a delegate for an international uh, congress. Um, and uh, supposedly stayed on a little bit after for holidays. But we know that there was controversy brewing as well um, in relation to the fact that you know, conflict was looming and we have this, this um, keen member of the Nazi party in a significant role in the civil service. So there was some disquiet brewing um, in Irish circles as well. Um, so there was, he was part of a very small group of, you know, Nazis in, in influential and important enough uh, roles in the civil service as well, or German citizens, I suppose I should say. Um, there, was, there was one in the ESB and one on the Turf Development Board, and then Colonel uh, Fritz Basse was, um, was the head of the Army School of Music. So um, he was part of that s- a small influential group, and when he got as far as Germany... Um, during the outbreak of the war, he actually found himself in a bit of financial poverty. Um, but then we know by May 1940, he has secured some work as a lecturer. But um, eventually what we do know is that he, he secures a job in the Foreign Office. And now there had been a sort of conflict between the control of these radio stations, of this radio network. Was it under the jurisdiction of the Foreign Office or under Goebbels' um, propaganda ministry? And eventually, the Foreign Office did seem to win out in this. So he was able to, you know, exact some enact some influence over um, over the over Ireland redaction. And you know, he wrote a report and was a bit critical of this Irish-only policy. Um, that he thought that you know we could really tap into, let's say, the wider Irish um, community as well by using English broadcasts, you know, in Ireland, but also maybe Irish Americans as well. Um, now, at this time, we know in the 1936 census, there were over 200,000 Irish speakers in the Gaeltacht. So although, you know, they were definitely a minority, there was still a sizable, um, let's say, audience there. But Mayer, you know, Mayer does issue this report, and it is accepted, you know, that the service should move to, uh, to uh, bilingual broadcasting through the medium of Irish and English. Um, but the, but it's not exactly smooth sailing for him either because, uh, let's say, within civil service power struggles, it's another man actually initially gets put in charge of this new bilingual service, but he and his team have little to no experience of Ireland and there's a question as to, as to whether any of them had ever been in the country. Um, so eventually that team only lasts for five months and then he does get his opportunity to um, appoint someone of his own the head Ireland redaction, and he appoints Dr. Hans Hartman, who he would have known from his days in Ireland. Hartman had also spent time in Ireland as well, and Hartman had also uh, had also been a student of Mulhausen. Um, and so then, after the war, you know, there's actually a debate in the doll about whether Adolf Maher should be allowed back because he's still technically director of the National Museum, so he would have had a comfortable uh, job, six hundred pounds a year, waiting for him, and he <laughs> technically was was still employed. But um, the government was spared that embarrassment because he didn't actually didn't actually seek to retain. So Adolf Maher would really have been responsible for making it more accessible, maybe a- away from that idea of just focusing on Irish la- on the Irish language. 
And so then we, we can see, you know, under Hartman, the man that, that he appointed, we see, um, new, we see new shows being brought on to help uh, attract English speakers as well. Uh, and in that vein, you talk about Francis Stewart, um, and he has um, a, a specific type of show, I think, is, is, that you identify that starts to come in. Come in. Yeah. Who is Francis Stewart, actually? Now, Francis Stewart was... Um, was actually an Irishman himself, and you know that was obviously quite a valuable asset of someone you know with such a knowledge of the country. Now his family were still residing in Glendalough during the war, so he was out in Germany on his own. But he broadcast in English, um, and he had a weekly show called True Irish Eyes, and the and sort of so he considered himself to be a neutral using um, let's say German radio to express his opinions, but in reality, you know. Uh, there was uh, this did sort of, he did have to fall into line on certain issues, but what's interesting about Ireland Redaction in general is that compared to other um, let's say radio services that were uh, operating by the Nazis at this time, is that there's relative relatively little anti-Semitism, um, and this is interesting. But I suppose the people working in Ireland Redaction they understand let's say Irish audiences and that there's not really an appetite. And so then they can they realise that actually what's more what's more beneficial would be the use of sort of anti-English um, propaganda as opposed to you know anti-Semitism, which had been quite prevalent. Now there were exceptions in Ireland redaction, um, but in general there was less of an anti-Semitism policy. And um, one thing that really interested me, I suppose, coming from the perspective of Irish history, is that the Nazis had identified, um, I suppose, Ireland's recent past as it was then. Um, and the War of Independence and uh, the experience of British imperialism and colonialism in Ireland as a potential uh, leverage point. And that features in some of the shows. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Recently, I had a minor argument with a close friend that brought up things from my past that I really needed to get off my chest. I think we've all been there. Now, I found therapy a really great way to work through these issues. For me, I really like online therapy. And BetterHelp is a really great online service that allows you to make space for therapy no matter how busy you are. BetterHelp is convenient, affordable, and gives you the support you need, but also works around your schedule. It's really easy to get up and running with a therapist on BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. 
You can do your sessions by text, phone, or video call, whichever suits you best. It's all about flexibility, working around your schedule. At the moment, BetterHelp are offering listeners to the show 10% off their first month. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash irishhistory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash irishhistory. Yeah, so flashback now is is the key show where we see, um, you know, sort of anti-English propaganda being used. Now, <laughs> all the show has had some element of anti-English <laughs> propaganda, but this one in particular, the way it was designed, was that the Ireland Redaction team had got copy to a book which had been compiled, um, let's say, in Ireland, but for, for the United States. But they had access to a copy of this book which listed all the atrocities um, that the Black and Tans and the Auxiliaries had committed in Ireland during the War of Independence. And you know, they understood the great propaganda resource that this was. So the, the flashback broadcasts, they'd list on the anniversary, oh, this day 21 years ago, this town was ransacked, or this person was shot, or this person was executed. So in general, the, ma- the vast majority of these broadcasts relate to events from the War of Independence and the Revolutionary Period. Um, but you do also see other things mentioned as well. So, I mean, it would go back and occasionally mention things from 1916 or even 1798. But in general, their aim is to remind people that the British are the enemy here, that they're the ones that, you know, that have ransacked your towns and your villages. Um, so they're you know, trying to reinforce the point that Britain is the enemy and not Germany. And do they ever shift away from this idea of just trying to get Ireland to be neutral are they trying to foment an idea maybe in Ireland that Ireland should at least uh, maybe do uh, the old adage of taking advantage of uh, Ireland's or England's disadvantage or whatever is Ireland's opportunity? Is there any attempt to get Irish people to start um, um, taking a position in the war? Well, what we do what we do see is, and one of the one of the most common phrases you hear um, was "quinnigiver no jock" to keep your neutrality. So that was really the line that they were drilling home. But, I mean, this wasn't necessarily without exception either. I mean, they were constantly, you know, say, praising the virtues of this new society in Germany and in the future of Europe, and basically saying how Ireland's role was with Germany in the future. And we know even when Mulhausen uh, was in Donegal, he would constantly... Uh, be telling the locals how everything would be more efficient if the Germans were in charge of agriculture in Ireland, um, <clears throat> and we can see from his own personal from his own personal diary that he saw that he commented on seeing waste everywhere. So there was a, a, certainly an element of that. But in one of Francis Stewart's broadcasts, um, in terms of actually active support for Germany, he suggested if conscription be introduced in the north that nationalist soldiers not protest, but they should enlist and do the training and be armed. And then once they're on the battlefield, to simply mutiny and go over to the German side, which was a bit of a fanciful idea, but, um, but certainly shows, you know, in, in that respect at least, um, that they were trying to be uh, proactively, one example of proactively supporting the Germans. You touched on the politics of uh, Francis Stewart and, uh, and earlier with Mulhausen, um, and you were saying that Stewart. Do we know much about what he? You know, he's obviously living in Nazi Germany at this point. One suspects it's hard to be neutral. You know that, that he, he's 
almost that he proclaims himself as some sort of like almost bystander in history when I suppose we all know that these being such a, a figure is very difficult. Do we know anything about his beliefs? Well, um, <laughs> as, as it would turn out, Stuart's loyalties wouldn't lie with Britain or with Germany, but he saw, you know, as the great heroes of this struggle to be the Soviet Union, who he saw as being, as, uh, they were attacked um, viciously, as he saw it by the Germans. He saw it that they weren't, let's say, um, from his perspective, you know, attacking civilians in the way, you know, that uh, cities were being bombed, let's say, in Germany and in Britain. Um, so he had a great personal admiration for the Soviet Union, and this would come to a head, really. When he departed the station, it would be because, you know, when the, you know, the heat was growing on the Eastern Front, there was more pressure on him to broadcast anti-Soviet propaganda, which he refused to do. So he, so he stood by his commitment to the Soviet Union and left Ireland with action at that point. And what happened to him? I, that, that wasn't, uh, uh, Nazi Germany wasn't known for its tolerance of uh, dissident voices. Do we, what happened to Stuart when he... Uh, well, he, well, he lost um, the privileges that he had, let's say, as being a member of the Ireland with action, and there were all sorts of threats put against him. But in the end, ultimately, uh, there wasn't really anything they could do. And then maybe going back to the aims of the station is to keep Ireland neutral, their broadcasting uh, programmes, but they run into some very basic problems. They, they can broadcast them from Germany, but sometimes getting people in Ireland to actually be able to listen to them proves to be a problem. Yeah, so, I mean, Ireland reduction would have come into a serious number of problems to most, um, I suppose, disastrous for them being the lack of actual radios in Ireland at this time. Um, you know, and, you know, David O'Donoghue in this book suggests it could have been, let's say, as low as one for every 30 households, you know, yeah. in some parts of Ireland, in the western parts, you know, where the Grail Tucks are, <laughs> which was their target audience initially. So as the war progressed, um, you know, what few radios there were fell silent. It became nearly impossible to acquire batteries for radios. Um, we also know that the, the reception could be quite poor at times, especially for Irish language broadcasts, that um, it was thought that they were often very hard to hear as well. But let's say other difficulties that they would have faced, external to the fact that, that there was a relative, going to be a relatively low listenership, it's not like today, it wasn't mass media in the sense that we have it today. Um, but there broadcasts would draw um, diplomatic protests from Ireland on two occasions. And one of them was a commentary on the execution of an IRA prisoner. But another one was the 1943 general election. Um, Francis Stewart issues a broadcast uh, condemning Fine Gael. <laughs> now, although we had a Fianna Fáil government at the time, you know, they saw this as really you know, a, a German radio station interfering in internal Irish affairs. Now, Francis Stewart's criticism was that you know, um, Fine Gael wasn't as dedicated to neutrality as Fianna Fáil was. Um, but this, but, so this was one of the occasions when an official diplomatic um, protest was lodged, let's say, through the, the delegation in the, dipl the, the diplomatic service um, in Berlin. Um, Warnock, who was in charge there at the time, against Francis Stewart. And so once that message did get through, you know, that was the end of the, of the anti-Fine Gael broadcasts uh, coming from Berlin. <laughs> so they would actually try and follow a line that didn't offend the Irish government, or they were conscious of that, were they? That well, I suppose, you know, they would have seen themselves, 
they, like they wouldn't have been openly critical of a government policy in the south. I mean, and then there was a lot of sort of plumosin as well. One of those um, flashback broadcasts, I think, congratulated De Valera on his birthday. Um, <laughs> so you had an element of that that you know Fianna Fáil was in charge. Fianna Fáil wanted neutrality. So let's just and their goal was, of course, to support the policy of neutrality. Now it shows, you know, how perhaps unaware they were, you know, that there was a certain tilt to Irish neutrality in favour of the Allies in various ways. But um, that was their ultimate goal, supporting neutrality and keeping Ireland out of the war and whatever means they had for that. And then I suppose, coming towards the end of the story of the station, do we have any idea how many people were listening to us? Did it have an impact in Ireland, or was it this? Uh, was it just being broadcast out <laughs> to avoid, and people in Germany thinking, putting lots of effort into something that no one is listening to? Well, you see, anecdotal evidence, and in larger, that's all we have, will differ. Now, you'll have some people saying that you know there, there were these got great attention, but let's say Tomás de Valdera was one man, a famous lexicographer um, in, from the Gael talked. Um, you know, he was saying he, that there really wasn't much interest in them, you know, that, and you'd have some reports saying that people were more interested in listening to the English broadcaster, Lord Ha Ha, um, and his propaganda. So you'd have, so what, what we do know for certain is that the lack of radios was a fundamental flaw in, let's say, in any Nazi attempt to broadcast this propaganda and to severely influence Irish public opinion in a meaningful way. Then, um We've talked about a couple of different people, Mulhausen, um, Adolf Marr, you touched on what happened to him after the war, Francis Stewart. Do we know what happened to these people later in life? Or Well, um, what we do know is that unlike, um, you know, Lord Haha, for example, was executed after the war, he was in the English broadcasting section, that none of the actual people involved in the Irish broadcasting section would be executed. Um, you know, some w- were interned after the war, um, Francis Stewart would eventually return to Ireland and he would become a member of the Aestana, which is this artistic um, society. And when he did become a member, um, uh, the famous poet Maura McEntee resigned from the, quit the Aestana when she heard that, um, that, Stewart, that Stewart was going to be allowed in. Um, so, I mean, and, no, Adolf Meyer never returned to Ireland. And Hans Hartmann, I do believe, did return to Ireland, but um, you know the topic was avoided in conversation. Um, you know it wasn't it wasn't brought up you know in conversation with him since. And even his he he kept teaching um, and lecturing after the war, um, and his students had no idea. And one of his students is the, is the man who narrated the T.G. Cahar documentary. You know had no idea of this whole um, aspect of 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 Hartmann's life. And did any of them ever voice? Um regret or um, I suppose it's coming back to that idea of why did they do this did they see them you know how committed were they to to Nazism I suppose well I think there's no doubt anyway with how dedicated Mulhausen was Hartmann you know in his role was always you know keen to defend the fact that he um, resisted any pressure to broadcast anti-Semitic let's say propaganda on the Ireland redaction and to a large part I mean there is a degree. Of, there is truth in that, and that compared, there was comparatively little anti-Semitism broadcast. Now, the major exception to this rule um, was the talks under a pseudonym of William Cadigan. 
now, but according to Hartman, according to people involved, you know, these talks actually came from the English broadcasting section and possibly from William Joyce, Lord Haw Haw himself. Um, and as the war progressed, there was certainly um, a growing sense that Francis Stewart's uh, opinion anyway, that the Irish broadcasting section was coming more and more under the thumb of the English broadcasting section, you know, in terms of scripts and in terms of influence or something. So, um, so it is quite possible from, from that perspective, um, you know, that there was a genuine uh, desire to keep anti-Semitism out of um, off the Ireland redaction. Um, Francis Stewart again, you know, would consi- would have cons- considered himself to be a neutral working, you know, for um, working and just using this as a means for voicing his own opinion. Um, but he, but he did he did display some regret in the fact, um, you know, n- knowing one, once he kind of realised and saw at the end of the war, really, just how, what was really going on. He did express some, some regret at how close he had let himself become to, to the Nazi state. And then um, what made you pick this out, or how did you come across it? Because it's, it's quite, I suppose it's not, as I say, it's not the first thing if you pick up a book in the Second World War, this won't be on the first page. Well, I was drawn to researching um, the emergency at first, but I, I really wasn't sure, you know, what aspect I was going to take on it. I was thinking maybe rationing or the effect on just Irish society. So, you know, and I'd done a lot of work, um, let's say, in fact, like I'd re- gone into, the, let's say, the newspaper archives from the Tipperary Star, which mm. ultimately wasn't directly related to this project, but just in getting a sense, you know, what the emergency was like and the environment of World War Two at the time, um, I thought, you know, it was very eye-opening. Um, but then I I bought one book um, by Claire by Claire Willis. Um, I was reading that, and it, and it just mentioned um, the Ireland redaction, and that kind of caught my attention because I'd be interested in Irish language issues anyway. So. Um, so once that of my attention, and then I personally had an interest to find out more about this, um, and so and so that's <laughs> that's where it all began. Okay, and I'm sure people listening at home are going to wonder: Are they going to be hearing from you again? Are you going to uh, are you going to do history uh, after school, or what? Do you plan to pursue history? Well, I mean, I think uh, history history is very important because I mean you don't really have an understanding of what's going on. Uh, in the present world, I mean, look at current geopolitical situations um, without understanding, you know, the, the, what happened in the past. Um, well, I might disappoint you now, but I'm going to do, uh, hoping to do law and Irish in college, but I'll certainly, uh, I'll, cer- I'll certainly keep an interest in history. William, thanks a million for your time. Thank you very much. It's been great to have you on the show. And uh, yeah, you never know, maybe it will be history at some point. <laughs> maybe it will. I just want to thank William, his teacher Cart McCormack and everyone in St. Joseph's College, Borisalee, for making this podcast possible. Finally, a special thanks to this week's producers and all the supporters of the show. If you want to get on board, check out the links to Patreon and Acast Plus in the show notes below. Until next time, Sloan. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.